Hi, welcome to Monocular, a storytelling podcast that offers you a one-eyed look at the distant and not-so-distant past. Welcome back to this first new monocular episode in quite a while. Good things have happened in between the last episode and this one. More specifically, my son was born in October. As amazing and wonderful as it has been to become a dad, it has also quite significantly cut down on my time for creative endeavors, such as producing this podcast. Over the holidays, however, I decided that it was time to record and publish another episode, whatever it would take. As such, this entire episode was recorded with my two-month-old baby attached to my chest in a baby carrier. He stayed pretty quiet, and I think you have to listen pretty hard to detect any cameos from him. Anyway, the story you're about to hear isn't about him at all. Rather, it's a story from 10 years ago, when I was still quite active as a freelance journalist for Denmark's biggest music magazine. As it turned out, I ended up writing the concert review that would become the most discussed review ever among the users on the magazine's website. While the story is very much about this particular concert, my review of it, and the ensuing discussion, the underlying theme is teenage obsessions and why we tend to grow out of them. Monocular is written, performed, recorded, and produced by me, Mikkel Albeck. Go to monocularpot.com to find more information about the show such as how to become a patron for as little as a few bucks a month. Subscribing to the show or leaving a five-star review are also activities I would like to encourage you to perform. Monocular is a Torahtown StoryWorks production, and for more information about the company, a one-stop shop for all kinds of storytelling, please visit torahtown.com. Thanks for tuning in, and Happy New Year to everyone. I hope this episode will be an enjoyable listen, and the story is entitled Checking In at the Tokyo Hotel. In 2006, I started freelancing for Denmark's biggest music magazine, Gotha. I was finishing up my one and only semester at the Danish School of Journalism, and I was excited to officially put my name on things as a journalist, rather than simply putting it on school papers as a student. Because with school papers, I would be targeting an audience that usually just consisted of one person, my teacher. But as a journalist, my words would reach far more people, and that was incredibly exciting to think about. While working as an interview journalist was by far my most favorite part of writing for the music magazine, I also wrote hundreds of reviews of concerts, music releases, and DVDs. I often felt strange in the role as a critic, especially when I was handed obscure American indie releases, because if I didn't give them five or six stars on the magazine's six-star scale, what was the point of the individual review? Who'd want to spend time reading a review of a mediocre album by a band they'd never heard of? As such, I spent a lot of time pondering how reviews for lesser-known acts ought to be skipped completely, 
unless they are worthy of one of the two top grades, thus effectively serving as a recommendation to the readers more so than a review. That approach never became a reality, however, and as an aspiring journalist, I adhered to the rules and scattered a varying number of stars across musical efforts of very, varying quality. Since the task of reviewing a specific concert was something you could request from the editor, most concerts that any individual journalist got to review would be one that they had an interest in seeing. Since you'd get in for free, and since most journalists were also relatively poor students, it could be a pretty good deal to review a show. I never did the math on the resulting average number of stars, but this undoubtedly resulted in much more positive reviews than if journalists were just assigned concerts regardless of their individual tastes and musical preferences. Every now and then, however, there would be a concert that no one really wanted to review. After all, music journalists all feel they have exceptional taste, so if there's someone coming through town who is decidedly not a very cool act, there's not exactly a line of critics waiting to spend an evening and a half attending and then reviewing the given show. Such concerts, however, could be deemed crucial by the editor to get a review of, and mass emails would be sent out to all the journalists, trying to lure someone on board. One such concert was the one given by the German band Tokyo Hotel. The band was playing in the Forum in Copenhagen on March 1st, 2010, a venue that holds around 10,000 people. In a press release sent to the magazine before the show, the promoter highlighted that it was the first time that this emo rock band would be performing in Denmark, and that they were one of Germany's best-selling acts at the time, with more than 5 million albums sold. I really had no urge to see this show, but there was something that drew me to it. Having earned my master's degree in aesthetics and culture, I realized that I could approach this concert as something to be analyzed through the skills I had learned at university. So, rather than just reviewing it like most other shows, focusing on the energy and the delivery of the performance, as well as the composition of the set list, highs and lows and such things, I decided to approach this more as a cultural phenomenon I had to decipher. So, off I went to the forum. Less like a traditional music critic, and more like a young academic who had proudly earned his degree less than a year ago. The resulting review reads as follows. Screaming and screeching and teenage girls in mass psychosis. This is how one could summarize the predominant aspect of tonight's show. It won't be remembered for the music, nor for the amount of tickets sold, considering the room was only half full. In the hour that passed between the quite forgettable set from support act The Dreams and the entrance of tonight's headliner, the audience knew how to whip up quite an atmosphere. That is, the segment of the audience whose parents had paid for the tickets. All it took was a glimpse of a member of the stage crew before extremely loud screeches departed all the young mouths. And as the frequency of the screeches increased, the place sounded more and more like the roller coasters in Tivoli on a Blue Monday. A little note here. Blue Monday is the day after most 7th grade kids in Denmark confirm their Protestant faith and celebrate by going to an amusement park before getting drunk, often for the first time ever, that same evening. You know, like Jesus would have wanted. Anyway, back to the review. These screeches would soon feel like the most pleasant silence, however, when compared to the constant screaming that began as the lights went off shortly after 9 p.m. and never really quieted down until an hour and a half later. The screams reached their loudest peaks as the band members revealed themselves one by one on the stage. 
drummer Gustav Schäfer, appeared from a giant hatching metal egg, which made up the cornerstone of the quartet's stage design. Guitarist Tom Kalitz and bass player Georg Listing appeared on each side of the stage. Then, finally, the key figure appeared, lead singer Bill Kalitz. The mass psychosis reached such a violent height that it couldn't possibly have been completely healthy for vast parts of the audience. The music kicked off, and all of a sudden, the whole circus actually worked. Standing a few meters from the front row, surrounded by screaming girls armed with glow sticks, cell phones, and cameras all held up into the air, it was impossible to not get a little bit carried along. And as he stood there, the highly androgynous, wing-clad, and relatively charismatic Bill Kaulitz, for a split second, he resembled a German successor to David Bowie. There were elements at play that weren't completely uninteresting, and which weren't nearly as crazy as they felt. Or so you thought, because the moment didn't last. Far from it, even. And just as soon as it became clear that you had just compared Tokyo Hotel's lead singer to a big and important figure like David Bowie, the shame kicked in, and it became increasingly clear what you're actually witnessing. Every once in a while, a decent song would pop up, and the screeching was replaced by actual singing along. But ultimately, it was the rumble of the empty barrels that ended up dominating. Lots of faux attitudes, rhythmically fired flames, forced poetic imagery on the big screens, a light step onto the plateau in the middle of the audience, and insanely cliched comments between the songs were all combined with this music, which isn't catchy enough to be pop, nor authentic enough to carry the torch of rock, and it is absolutely not provocative enough to bring you into even the smallest possible state of shock. In short, it was an experience filled to the brim with cliches. Faster than you would have wanted it, it became clear why Tokyo Hotel mainly appeals to people who naturally do not pick up on this particular aspect, simply because they haven't listened to a whole lot of music in their still very short lives. After half an hour, it became tedious. All the tricks had both been used and reused diligently. After another half hour, it became full-on annoying, and it only became more and more glaringly obvious what a substance-free dish these four Germans were serving up. A walk around the venue revealed parents that were so bored that you would think they were actually paid to be there, rather than having purchased the very expensive tickets so that they and their daughters could gain access to the hysteria. The parents made up an interesting aspect of this concert. Previously, young people have thrown themselves at bands like the Beatles and Marilyn Manson, and in spite of the very different times, parents weren't particularly excited about it in either case. In this case, however, they aren't particularly excited either, but for very different reasons. Tokyo Hotel is an extremely harmless and pointless band, and obviously just one that their kids should be allowed to listen to. But when the beloved kids lock themselves in their rooms and exercise their emo angst, they might feel terribly rebellious and in stark opposition to the old, stubborn beasts whose roofs they still live under. However, the whole idea about rebellion completely evaporated when mom and dad had to sponsor the screeching manner in which this rebellion was acted out even if they were situated several meters away from their kids during the concert. Nevertheless, as it will undoubtedly be revealed through the many witness accounts that will appear in the comment section down below before long, all of this is simply an ultra-conservative misreading of tonight's show. Because it was truly fantastic. All four members totally gave their all. They played all the good songs. They really made you think with all the great things they said between the songs. The quiet songs made you tear up like crazy and the bonus encore was unforgettably wonderful and extremely surprising. And I swear that I made eye contact with Billy Boy multiple times during the show, and then my heart just completely melted. And fair enough, experiences like that definitely aren't illegitimate, 
they are merely damningly blinding and bereft of all historical context. Two things that are thankfully taken care of automatically with the passing of time and the maturing of the mind. That's the end of the review. I ended up giving it a generous two out of six stars. Back then, the magazine's accompanying website, which is where all concert reviews were published, had a quite vibrant user community. Most reviews above a certain interest threshold would spark a bunch of comments, and some would even kick off a debate among the users, not least when the review was of the more critical kind. As such, as I mentioned towards the end, I figured my review of the Tokyo Hotel show would generate quite a few comments, but I hadn't predicted exactly how crazy it would all get. It ended up generating several hundred comments, easily acquiring the title of the most discussed review in the magazine's history, and I don't think any review has ever knocked it off this pedestal. It started out the way the ego of a music critic would generally prefer, with praise. Someone saying it was the best review they had ever read from this particular outlet. Someone else saying it was a thoroughly good read and well-argued. Yet another person saying that there was a like button missing. Goodness, okay, I'll accept that. But then, starting with comment number nine, the Tokyo Hotel fans started chiming in. The very first of these pointed out that it was predictable that a critic from this outlet wouldn't be a fan of the band. Fair point. Quickly, however, a strange recurring theme appeared. Several fans were projecting onto me that I didn't like Tokyo Hotel simply because they were German. I had said no such thing in my review, but evidently anti-German sentiment is prevalent enough among Danes for its existence to be assumed even when there is no evidence of it. One Tokyo Hotel fan imitated me and claimed I had said the equivalent of "ew, they're singing in German, and he asked why the magazine hadn't enlisted a reviewer who knew something about German rock. He also sarcastically claimed that when he has kids one day, they will not be allowed to develop their own taste in music and definitely not listen to music with German lyrics. Yet another user, who was obviously a big fan of the band, casually mentioned that he also didn't care much for the German language or Germans, and that it was more the style and personality of the members that made him a fan. He was called out and quickly forced to apologize. It was a bit of a half-assed apology, though, as he pointed out that he knew many nice Germans, and Germans are more or less very similar to Danes. His mean comment, as he classified it himself, was mainly directed at the German language, which he labeled quite embarrassing and in bad style because it sounds very weird and strange. He actually had German as a subject in school, and it's quite boring to put it mildly, he stated, as if to let everyone know that he actually knew what he was talking about. Of course, there were plenty of fans who took offense to the statement that they might simply be too young to know any better. The easiest way to express this, of course, is to claim that the Beatles actually aren't that fantastic. Mind you, while I brought up the Beatles in my review, it was not to highlight the quality of their music, but rather to highlight their ability to upset the parents of the 1960s with their immoral rock and ditto hairstyles, very much unlike Tokyo Hotel was able to do in 2010. Nevertheless, a fan pointed out that lead singer Bill Cowlitz knows vocal tricks that would make Paul McCartney seem like a wrinkly old man with a throat infection. He acknowledged that perhaps the Beatles ruled in their day but now 50% of them are dead, and so are their fans, so now Tokyo Hotel rules. In a later comment, he talked about having the Beatles forced upon him at school, 
to the point where he considered throwing himself out the window because he was simply so bored with it. It was the same comment in which he complained that if he put up a poster of Tokyo Hotel in the classroom, someone would draw a mustache on lead singer Billy's beautiful face. The value of Tokyo Hotel, as he put it, was how they create a room for people who don't want to be like everybody else, and he feels that we should all admire them for that. I'm honestly highly sympathetic to that argument. I just feel like there are more interesting bands and artists to throw yourself at. I suppose, in my case, it was Marilyn Manson. While I'm sure people would be able to reduce my teenage fascination with Marilyn Manson to something similar to what these kids felt about Tokyo Hotel, I would argue that there's a significant amount of increased substance in Manson's music and core message. After all, he full-on cast himself as the Antichrist superstar and aggressively went after the hypocrisy of Christianity and the Christian establishment in his music. Nevertheless, I acknowledge the overlap in the appeal to angsty teens. Anyway, someone else pointed out that people were allowed to cry over the Beatles, but present-day concert goers should be allowed to have their own idols, or what? Someone with a username Tokyo Hotel Less Than Three, sorry, I know it's a heart, told everyone to shut the fuck up about the Beatles because they are dead, okay? Or at least they don't play anymore. This person also claimed that any man who criticized Bill Collins is simply jealous because they would never be as hot as him. Also, the review should have received 11.2 billion stars. Soon enough, the star of the comments section emerged. It was someone whom I will refer to as the princess, based on her username. She first chimed in at comment number 34, during which she made three separate points. First of all, she pointed out that the concert wasn't targeted at parents or old, angry, and dusty critics, but rather at the fans who loved it. I truly consider that a fair point. Second of all, she expressed frustration that I had skipped so easily over the good things about the band, such as the fact that they help Danish fans improve their German language skills as they translate and analyze the lyrics. She casually then mentioned that this is why she had just received an A in German class. I suppose this is a fair point too, albeit slightly less relevant in the context of a concert review. Third of all, she went after a genuine mistake I had made in the review. I had written the Danish word for assembled, which is Lene as Linte. I will credit my Aarhus dialect since that is very much how I would pronounce that word, and plenty of verbs end in T-E instead of E-D-E, which nevertheless is what would have been correct in this instance. The princess pointed out that there is no such word as linte, and that my mistake was a complete joke. Then she spelled it out correctly before stating, This convinces me that this critic from the Stone Age is a complete amateur who does not have any great bright future within reviews of contemporary or future music. When someone said that she was being a little harsh, she doubled down and said that it's not a spelling mistake, but a kindergarten mistake, and one simply does not make those. The triple down came later when she stated that it's not a random mistake, but one that you simply do not make when you're older than seven. And especially not, she added, when you write on homepages, in newspapers, or books. In fact, her obsession with this one mistake continued to be a recurring point. And when more people pointed out that this one mistake did not really disqualify the review as a whole, she said, If you can't handle that I'm better at grammar, then don't comment when I correct an adult who has made a mistake. He should know better, and none of it is my mistake. To my pleasant surprise, someone summoned Axel Rose in order to point out his vocal abilities. 
The princess quickly responded to this other user and said, Oh, you mean Axel Rose, whose name becomes oral sex if you switch the letters? She made it sound like the anagram of Axel's name was somehow detrimental to his vocal abilities. Sure, he can do some things with his voice that the lead singer of Tokyo Hotel cannot do, she acknowledged, before adding. But the lead singer of Tokyo Hotel can also do some things with his voice that Mr. Oral Sex cannot do. To my point about Tokyo Hotel not fitting into either of the classic pop or rock categories, she explained that it's trendy to be different, so she really couldn't see what my problem was. Besides the fact that I needed to keep up with what's happening in the real world. Later on, she stated what one of the most upsetting things about the review was. That she was looked down upon, since she's not a stupid emo teenage girl, but rather a relaxed, intelligent girl who would get one A after another, didn't use tons of makeup, didn't dye her hair black and purple, and was not a cutter. In short, she felt that she was the opposite of what I claimed Tokyo Hotel fans are like. I clearly didn't comment on what grades Tokyo Hotel fans get on their makeup and hair dye usage or whether or not they are cutters, but someone else latched onto this reading too, stating the following. I hope that the person who wrote this review sees this, because I will tell you that I will not accept that you label us Tokyo Hotel fans as mentally confused youths who cut themselves or are simply incredibly crazy. Well, that's fair, and I'm glad I truly didn't say any of those things. The princess kept at it, and eventually she dug up a review from two years earlier, which she served up as proof that the magazine had an anti-Tokyo hotel bias. Mind you, this review wasn't written by me. Rather, it was written by my dear friend Lars, whom I initially became friends with through the music magazine. He didn't exactly hold back as he served up his one-star review of Tokyo Hotel's DVD release, Hotel Zima, via Achtrei. On the contrary, he opened the review with the following line. Ach du Liebe, what kind of noise pollution is this? And why the fuck are the kids so crazy about this German failed emo mutant? He labeled the four members as overly privileged boys who are bitching about poor room service. And, I will concede somewhat controversially, stated that Germans evidently are none the wiser since they are still able to go into a mass psychosis over Bill Kaulitz. He finished off the review by saying that Tokyo Hotel almost makes the other teen phenomenon, happy slapping, seem like a healthy pastime. Based on these two reviews, the princess called for the magazine to simply do one thing, assign any review to a neutral critic. The absurdity of having to be neutral while also assigning a value between one and six stars should be clear. Nevertheless, I would say that with a very limited knowledge of Tokyo Hotel before being tasked with having to review their concert, I was about as close to this desired neutrality as I could be. When someone else wrote up a template for what a so-called neutral review should look like, to thereby demonstrate for the princess that it would be terribly boring, she reiterated what she actually wanted. Less condescension. The reviewers are condescending and it leads to a loss of readers, she stated in what suddenly took the shape of business advice to the magazine in terms of keeping up its readership. Immediately, she added that if anyone doesn't like what she is writing, they can just stop reading her comments. Naturally, someone instantly suggested that perhaps she could use the same approach when it came to concert reviews. Eventually, past the 200 comment mark, it started to fizzle, and people went meta, including the princess. Someone acknowledged that her impertinent attitude had managed to provoke him. She responded that this meant her attitude had worked. A few people had challenged her, including one person who claimed that all her comments were meaningless fill-ins, and the extent to which she had managed to get people to respond to her, and it resulted in a futile attempt at enlightening her by trying to tell her that Tokyo Hotel wasn't as revolutionizing, rebellious, or fantastic as she thought they were. 
Someone else developed a theory that the princess actually had multiple user accounts so that she could keep the threat going. Yet another user started pondering if they could all have the threat reach a thousand comments. The princess and others thought that was a fantastic idea. Somewhere along the way, in comment number 149, someone summarized quite perfectly what the point of relatively harsh reviews like this one was. He said, If we don't dare differentiate between what's good and what's bad, we'll end up with total indifference with only one loser, true talent. Reviews are about the duty to call out something as being relatively more shit, if that's what it is. Someone else commented that it had all gone down exactly how I predicted it would towards the end of my review, which fit in well with what yet another user said. He praised the review and told me well done, and pointed out that it was one of the most fun and most predictable thread of comments he'd seen in a long time, before he added. The only thing you're not allowed to say to a teenager is that they will become smarter as more time passes. It's like pushing a button with a highly predictable response. But we do it anyway, because the reaction is simply too much fun. As I look back 10 years later on the review and the overwhelming amount of comments, a few things stand out. First of all, I still stand by the review. There are things I'd phrase a little differently, but then I also remind myself that these reviews always had to be written quickly, right after the show, so they'd be ready to read the following morning. So all things considered, I think it holds up okay. Second of all, I'm taking more note of the aspect of condescension than I believe I did the first time I read through all the comments as they kept ticking in back in March of 2010. Part of me feels instinctively bad about being called out for being condescending. Someone else being condescending to me is something I truly don't appreciate. So did I do a bad thing? Should I have been kinder to the Tokyo Hotel fans? Perhaps, but I think the proper question to ask is this. Could I have made the point without the parts that are rightfully registered as condescending by Tokyo Hotel's fans? I don't think so. Of course, this is not the absolutely only way I could have phrased things, but even with different words, the overall point would have been the same. The appeal of Tokyo Hotel only makes sense when you consider the fact that the band's teenage audience isn't old enough to know any better. It sucks to be told such things when you're a teenager, and it can be unfathomable to you that you are, indeed, blinded by something or someone because you aren't old or experienced enough to fully understand your own fascination or why it's just another version of what the world has seen many times before. But I will claim that most, if not all people, mature into a version of themselves that looks back at their teenage obsessions with some degree of embarrassment. And that's a good thing. It would be much more problematic if we didn't eventually grow out of what we're so obsessed with as teenagers. So, a review like mine, to the extent that I even considered the amount of Tokyo Hotel fans that would read and comment on it, serves as a prod in the right direction. Not in the direction of any particular band that these teenagers should obsess over instead, but a prod in the direction of increased awareness of musical history, of what it means to be a fan of someone or something, and of how what we feel is set in stone actually changes over time, not just in the transition from teenager to 20-something, but all the way through life. The goal, to me, is to achieve some kind of existential humility. 
That's a humility you practically cannot express or even experience if a German emo band fills up your entire existence. But eventually, there will be room for other things, and you will learn that obsessions come in waves. That might make the teenage obsession seem less significant, but to me, it's all the more exciting to know that there will be plenty of things to be excited about over the course of your life. My current obsession is the singer-songwriter Bill Callahan. A friend from university introduced me to him around 15 years ago when he performed under the name Smog. Bill Callahan, that is, not my friend. All this time, I've known about Bill Callahan and that I should probably give him a shot because I would probably really like him. I never did, though. I mean, until I did. And then it clicked. I can now listen to album after album, day after day, and be completely swept up in this minimalistic universe that I previously considered somewhat dull. But now that I get it, I think it's some of the most amazing music I've ever heard, and I can't imagine not loving Bill Callahan for the rest of my life. It strikes me, however, how different this obsession is from the obsession all these teenagers had with Tokyo Hotel, or the obsession I myself had with Marilyn Manson when I was a teenager. I believe the main difference is this. There are some obsessions you grow out of, and then there are some that you grow into. The latter is the best kind, because there are also the ones that seem much more likely to stick. As to why this is, I think it's because these obsessions only find you after you've already found yourself.